Of course I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm a soldier. I don't laugh at anybody. And there, standing at their front door, were six stone statues, all wearing straw hats. Turn me over. Turn It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. To be with you every time that you tune in to bring these stories into your home and into your heart. We hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark conversation around the kitchen table or the living room. The sharing of memories that can be the storytelling tradition that keeps on giving and giving and giving. Makes for memories that last a lifetime, that kind of story storytelling. It's going to be a great hour today. We're going to bring you a story from Donna Washington, a tale called Isaac and the Glum Drum Bridge. You'll hear from the wonderful storyteller Alton Chung. He'll tell you a story about some grateful statues. And you'll hear an only very mildly spooky little tale from Rosie Couture called The Graveyard Voice. That's all coming up on today's episode of The Appleseed. And you'll hear a conversation with a friend as well. That conversation will be with our friend Teresa Love about the great Mari Sendak picture book, Where the Wild Things Are. You won't want to miss that. But in order to introduce you to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Alyssa Mingorance. Alyssa, it's great to have you with me. Hi, Sam. It's awesome to be here. We're going to hear, uh, well, tell us about what we're going to hear today. Yeah, so we're going to hear a story called Aniko, and in the story, there is a young girl who is the only one left in her village after um, a plague wipes Mm. out most of it. And as she's kind of wandering in her grief, she comes across this uh, woods or forest, and she has heard stories about these forests um, where either there is like a great treasure that lies within and beyond, but she's also heard that... Some the people who go in there never come back out. Mm. Well, that's uh, that that right there is the is the seeds of a pretty intense story. Absolutely, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Charlotte Blake Alston is the teller, a wonderful storyteller and musician. And one of the things that I notice about a Charlotte Blake Alston story is that sometimes the char- the, the the circumstances that these characters find themselves in are pretty dire. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of ways out of that trouble, but none of the ways take you anywhere but through it. Right? Absolutely, <laughs> right? absolutely. Yeah. I think she she does a good job of showing us like these real issues and letting us feel these very real emotions. It's not like super surface level, yeah. very happy, happy fairy tale, you know. Right. And in the end, everything's all right. But in the meantime, she's going to let us feel a lot of different things. That's right. And yeah. you're, you're about to feel all those things in this story, Aniko, told by Charlotte Blake Alston, here on The Appleseed. There was once a little girl named Aniko. She lived very happily in a village with her mother, father, sisters, and brothers. But one day, a sad thing happened. A sickness came to her village, and that sickness swept through like an angry fire. No one was spared, except Aniko. 
Aniko was grief-stricken and lonely, but she knew that she could not remain there. It would be very difficult for her to go on with her life alone. Sadly, she began walking away from her village. She walked and walked and walked until she found herself standing at the edge of a thick, thick forest. This was the forest many had spoken of. There were stories of this forest, stories of those who had entered it and had never returned. But there were also stories of a village on the other side where, as in her own home, a stranger would be welcomed in. But she would have to enter that thick forest in order to find the path that led to that village. Well, Aniko uttered a prayer to the ancestors and she entered that thick forest. She walked and walked, pushing aside wide leaves and long vines. She grew tired, but she continued on. Well, the ancestors smiled on her that day, and she found the path that led her to the village. She followed that path to the other side of the forest. What a beautiful country this is, Aniko thought as she walked. Soon the village came into sight, and the villagers came out to greet Aniko. It was then that Aniko saw that these villages had one very different, unique characteristic. They all had very long necks with heads that sat at the top of those necks. Even the babies had long necks. Aniko had never seen anything like this before. While the villagers all looked at Aniko and could not believe their eyes, she had a well, short neck, much like yours and mine. The long necks had never seen such a thing and they weren't quite sure what to say or do. Well, one of them asked what a little girl like Aniko would be doing in that forest alone. While well, Aniko began to tell all that had happened to her and her village and her family. And there was something about Aniko that made the long necks trust her, so they invited her to stay with them. Well, the villagers were right about Aniko. She was warm and caring and respectful, and she worked and played and danced with the villagers. She carried water and ground millet and accompanied the longnecks to the marketplace and shared in their celebrations. But the thing that was most special about Aniko was that every morning, very early, Aniko would rise from her bed and cross the village singing. Yes, in Allen, yes, in Allen, yeah, yeah, will not my day, my day, yes, in Allen, ita, yeah, Jonah, yes, in Allen, yes, in Allen, yeah, yeah, will not my day, my day, yes, in Allen, ita. Which meant, I'm coming to wake you up. I'm up, and I'm coming to wake you also, people. Well, singing was very much a part of Aniko's life and her village, but unbelievable as it may sound, the Longnecks had never heard singing before. 
They thought this was a wonderful way to be awakened from their sleep, and they began to look forward to Aniko's song each morning. The Longnecks loved Aniko even more because of this special gift she brought to them. But, my children, in this village, as in all villages of the world, there was one evil, jealous, small-hearted man. He did not like Aniko from the day he saw her. He called to her one day as she was grinding millet and said to her, You do not belong here. You are different from us. You have a short neck. There is no place for difference here. Differences can only mean problems in this village, so you should take yourself away to avoid bringing trouble here. The words stung Aniko, and without thinking, she ran off and found herself in that same thick forest. Deeper and deeper and deeper she went until she was completely lost. Well, it had been the rainy season and the vines hung long and the leaves loomed large. The foliage grew thick and Aniko became so afraid. It felt to her as though the eyes of the spirits of nature all stared down at her. Night fell quickly. Early the next morning, the Longnecks lay in their beds and awaited Aniko's song. But there was only silence. One by one, the villagers began to come out of their homes and asked, Have you seen Aniko? Have you seen Aniko? They went to the place where Aniko slept and did not find her. They gathered in the center of the village, and one of the elders stepped forward and said, I think I know who might know something. Follow me. He led the villagers to the home of that evil, jealous, small-hearted man. And he told them almost with pride how he spared them of the trouble that Aniko would bring because of her difference. The villagers could not contain their anger. What can we do now, they asked. Surely she is lost. Then it was one small child who had an idea. Perhaps we can sing like Aniko. Maybe she will hear us and find her way back. Well, not only had the villagers never heard singing, they had never tried to sing themselves. But they agreed that it was important to try, so they all joined hands there in the center of the village and began to sing. Whoa, 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 chicken, 
and sang, and because their heads were so high, their voices carried quickly through the forest and reached the place where Aniko stood. She heard the voices and followed the sound to the path which once again led her to the village. The whole village rejoiced when Aniko appeared. The chief approached her and invited her to remain with them as long as she wished. He told her, and the small-hearted man. It is not the length of your neck that is important. It is the goodness of your heart. And so it remains today. It is not whether you are a boy or a girl or black or white or old or young. It is what you are inside and what you give to the world. Yes, in Allen, yes, in Allen, yeah, yeah, will not my day, my day, yes, in Allen, ita, yeah, Jonah, yes, in Allen, yes, in Allen, yeah, yeah, will not my day, my day, yes, in Allen, ita. It is what you are inside and what you give to the world. Words of wisdom springing from a story told for you by Charlotte Blake Alston. That's quite a tale, Alyssa. Yes, it is. It's such a pleasure always to hear a story from Charlotte Blake Alston. And, you know, it's hard to say that that a story makes me want to face danger, right? Mm, yeah, no, I, I get you. <laughs> but it does, it does kind of fill me with resolve to face the dangers in my life that I must face, as a matter of Absolutely. course. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, because, you know, a lot of these stories about magical woods and, you know, these really epic themes that we probably won't face in our lives, you see that underneath they really are about the themes that we face in our daily lives, right. you know. And and I love that, you know, we might not have these certain magical elements, but in the end we all have dangers and we all have themes to give. Yeah. Aniko, the story told for you by Charlotte Blake Alston. A pleasure to have you with us for it. And uh, there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. An hour filled with stories for you and your family began a moment ago with a story called Aniko, a story told for you by the wonderful storyteller Charlotte Blake Alston, a terrific storyteller and musician, and it's always a pleasure to bring you a tale from Charlotte. Coming up, a lot more. You're going to hear from Donna Washington with a story called Isaac and the Glum Drum Bridge, and you'll hear a story about some grateful statues from Alton Chung, and Rosie Cotrere will bring you a tale equal part 
Schwartz, spooky and funny, a story called The Graveyard Voice. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a memory for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room, here's a memory from me, a memory of, well, a memory of souvenirs brought from faraway places. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. When I was a tiny kid, my dad traveled a lot. He was kind of an itinerant folk singer, and he went where the gigs were. He was never gone for more than a couple of days, and I imagined him out there strumming his guitar and singing, soaking in the experiences he was having, turning them into more songs. And he'd bring home stories of adventures on the road, and we were all about that. But there's something that, as kids, we were even more about. Every time he'd come home from a trip, there'd be a corner of his suitcase filled with gifts for us, for my siblings and me. Souvenirs from the road. I remember him bringing me a handful of smooth black stones from a trip to upstate New York. I remember him bringing me a little handmade wooden box from a trip to South Dakota. He brought me an old silver dollar from an antique shop in Tucson. I remember a lot of these things because... Well, I still have them. In fact, the old silver dollar and the smooth black stones went into the little handmade wooden box where they sit today on top of the old piano that I have in my office. And during the years of my childhood, I'd open that box and look at those little treasures that my dad had brought back from his travels. And then a thing happened. I grew up and I started to travel a little bit myself. And I even traveled to some of the same places my dad had been long ago as an itinerant singer-songwriter. And, you know, it's a smaller world than you may think. And here's what I mean. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to travel to upstate New York, and I told my dad about it. And he said, oh, yeah, I went to upstate New York once. And I said, yeah, Dad, I know. You brought me a little handful of smooth black stones from upstate New York when I was a kid. And he said, well, you have a good memory. And I said, well, I still have the little smooth stones. And he said, huh, well, I went to upstate New York. And while I was there, I got to take a walk in the woods, these beautiful, quiet woods, Trees growing close enough together that you almost couldn't walk between them if not for the path. All the light coming into that wood filtered through a canopy of sunlit green. And as I was walking in the woods, I looked down at the path I was on. The path was entirely made up of smooth black stones, exactly like the ones at home in my box. Exactly. And suddenly, The tiny piece of the world that my dad had brought home for me when I was a kid had found its place in the larger world from whence it came, or I had. It was somehow huge to realize that the world I had imagined my dad outliving in when I was a kid was a world in which I could live, too. After that experience in New York, I made a habit of calling my dad when I'm out in the world, visiting a place I know he's been, especially if it's a place represented by one of those old souvenirs from his on-the-road folk singer days. 
So I've been to the antique shop in Tucson and seen the cardboard box full of old silver dollars for sale. I've been to the gift shop where the little wooden box came from, seen the metal shelf where my box stood before my dad bought it in South Dakota. There are other boxes like it there. And you know what? My dad got the best one. You can say, if you want, that as quests go, that's not much of one, making a point of visiting the places where my childhood souvenirs came from, whenever I'm within shooting distance of one of those places. But for me, that is, I guess, what those souvenirs always were, a simple little invitation to look out into the world, beyond the walls of my own home, beyond the edge of my yard or the end of my street, a simple little invitation to go where I've not been before. And you know what? I accept. My kids have souvenirs of places I've been to. And I don't know what those things will make them want to do, if they'll make them want to go to some of those places I've been. But if they do, if my kids go to some of the places represented by whatever smooth stones or silver dollars lie in the wooden boxes on their old pianos, maybe they'll find in those places the lingering spirit of someone who went there before someone who loves them. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. Write them down and share them with us. Send us uh, an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. There's a lot more coming up this hour. You're going to hear a story from Alton Chung, one from Donna Washington, one from Rosie Couture, wonderful storytellers all. But first, uh, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories get into our lives in so many ways through, of course, the tellings of tales around kitchen tables and living rooms that then become the stories that mean a lot to us and our families and our kids and future generations. And of course, the great food that we eat is a deep well filled with stories and the great songs that we listen to. And of course, the things we see on screen is part of the way that stories get into our hearts and minds and the experiences that we have with great books can be some of the most meaningful ways that stories get into us. And talking about all of that is a pleasure for us to do with friends here on The Appleseed. And we're delighted to have our friend Teresa Love with us. Teresa, thanks for joining me on Happy the Appleseed. Happy to be here. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about, now, th this goes all the way back to, you know, and I'm like a lot of people. This is maybe one of the very first book memories that I have. I'm of the generation into which this book sort of crept and stayed. And exactly. we're talking, of course, about... Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sindak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, not a grown-up by any means. I would think I was a young teenager, but my mother was going back to school, and yeah. she had taken a children's lit class, and she brought this brand-new book, um, and it caught my brother, who is your age, and uh, it was Where the Wild Things Are, and yeah. I, my word, 
that was like nothing we had ever seen before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's not so sweet as no. a lot of books. No. It's a little bit subversive. Yes. It's a little bit mean. Yes. It's a little bit crazy. Yes. And so wonderful. Yeah. And it, well, and, and I, I tell um, students that I work with and, you know, parents that I talk to about reading books or telling stories. And I'm like, don't read that book like in the, I call it the happy teacher voice, like yeah. the night Max wore his wolf suit. I mean, <laughs> it's like the boy is wearing a wolf suit. First of all, yeah. And if you look, he hangs his teddy bear up by the neck and he's chasing the dog with a fork. This is not a happy time. You know, you know, it's like five o'clock and he's hungry and all that kind of stuff. And his mother calls him wild thing and he talks back. Yeah. He's a back talker. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> and uh, but the connection that you that children can make with that, uh, whether they're horrified or identify or if it feels real, yeah. which is crazy since it's such an imaginative story, yeah. right? And is is um, illustrated so so fancifully and and yeah, and so, so in such a terrifying way. Yes, a in a terrifying bit, right? way. I mean, we, we've we've talked a little. Where the wild things are has crept into our conversation with other friends here behind the microphone, and we've talked a little bit about uh, the Spike Jones movie too, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, the film mm-hmm. adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are, and some of the rendering of some of Maurice Sendak's drawings in the context of a of a live action film, you know. But those those monsters of of Mari Sendex are, 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 you know, there, there's not a hard edge on any of them. They're all these sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're all stuffed animals in, in one way or another. But they're, but they're, but, but they have they, claws. But yeah, and they're, and they are somehow super scary. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but my understanding is that Mari Sendex. Uh, inspiration for all those monsters were the adults in his life, yeah. his aunts and uncles. His aunts and, and uncles yeah. who would come over on you know the weekend, maybe a you know, Sunday morning or something, and he'd have to be enveloped by <laughs> by these great big people yeah. that he didn't know and probably didn't smell great the way <laughs> you know, or or just that he wanted to go be someplace else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think about uh, uh, this is kind of a, a weird place to go, maybe, but. There was an interview with uh, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, uh-huh. uh, early in his uh, early, uh, just as Pee Wee's Playhouse, the television show was uh-huh. was uh, was was being produced, and a reviewer said, "In the us versus them, them. <laughs> right? In the us versus them struggle between adults and kids." Yeah. Pee Wee Herman is definitely one of them. Yeah, right? and 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 I, I that comes back to me every once in a while, and it comes back to me when I think of where the wild things are, because uh, uh, there are parents who are sometimes a little bit dismayed by by where the wild things are. Uh-huh. They have to be reminded that where the wild things are is is one of them. Right? Absolutely, it's not one of us, it's one of them. <laughs> absolutely. And and uh, what else I I want to to I'd like to remind people is. If kids aren't able to see those sort of dark feelings, you know, embodied in a piece yeah. of literature or something like that, then they walk around thinking that they there's something wrong with them, right. that that you know they they're ashamed of it all. Now this story ends happily. Yeah. You know, he does get his thing to eat, and right. <laughs> it was still hot, right? Yeah. But he and he comes to himself. Also, he's sitting there thinking he really wants to be with someone who loves him best of all. Yeah. 
And um, so it's it, it it comes around nicely for anybody who's really worried that you're just going to leave your kid, you know, hanging in, you know, out in the land with the wild things. And they're, now my kid's going to be wild. Yeah. But um, but and I also think, you know, I don't picture Maurice Sendak as being a particularly jolly man surrounded <laughs> by children, but he remembers what it's like to be yeah. a child. Yeah. And I think Margaret's. Margaret Weiss Brown, same thing, Good Night Moon. I don't think she particularly liked kids that much, but yeah. she remembered what it was like to be a child yeah. and wrote books that spoke that way. Yeah, to be able to speak in a way that a child can say, that's, uh, I, I get that. Yeah, that, I get that. That resonates with, mm-hmm. with yeah. me. Not so much the not, not so much filled with messages that, that right. parents would like to instill in their kids. but, but Like brush your teeth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, as you mentioned, that wonderful, wonderful ending with, with its message, right, that, that though Max has behaved like a wild thing, he's beloved of his mother. He is. <laughs> Yes. It's such a wonderful thing. Uh, where the wild things are, I want to go read it again. Good. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Teresa Love. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure for us to chat with our friend Teresa Love about a wonderful picture book. We'll be sure to have her back. There's a lot more coming up on The Apple Seed. Up next, you're going to hear a story from Donna Washington called Isaac and the Glumdrum Bridge. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Fain. You're listening to The Apple Seed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on this episode of The Appleseed. Going to fill this hour up with story after story after story. At the top of the hour, you heard Aniko, a story told for you by Charlotte Blake Alston. And that story had a sad beginning, right? A young girl, the only one left alive in her village. This next story starts off with a little more cheer. It's called Isaac and the Glumdrum Bridge, told for you by Donna Washington. And in this story, Isaac is a good man who works very hard on his farm all day. It's his normal life, every day, every year. That is, until he starts getting this fantastical dream that just won't leave his mind, a dream that he feels like following into adventure. If you've been looking for a sign to follow your dreams, this may be it. What dreams do you have that you'd like to follow? There's a topic of conversation for you and the people that you love. In the meantime, here's Donna Washington with Isaac and the Glumdrum Bridge here on The Appleseed. This story is one that I have heard in many different variations over the years. The oldest one I know of comes from the Arabian Nights Tales, when Scheherazade was spinning tales to save her life. It's a story about dreams and about what it means to believe and follow your dreams. It's called Isaac and the Glum Drum Bridge. Now, Isaac was a good man. He was a very, very good man. He'd lived all his life on his small farm, which he'd gotten from his parents. He'd never married, but he spent every single waking moment of his day working. Isaac lived in his little house by his fields, and the only good thing about his house was it had this giant chimney in it. It was so big that it kept the whole house warm. And all during the year, Isaac stocked up on firewood to make sure he would be warm. Now, when he wasn't cutting firewood, 
Isaac was working in his fields. He would get up first thing in the morning, have himself some breakfast, go out, work in his fields all day long, and then he would wave at a few people. He would eat lunch while he was working, and then he'd finish for the day, go home, eat a small supper, go to bed, and he'd get up the next morning and start all over again. He did that all year. Now, one night, Isaac was laying in bed, and he had a dream. He dreamt that for the very first time in his life, he didn't go out to work. And he hitched up his horse and wagon, and he went past his fields and past his neighbors, and he, he went into the forest, and then on the other side of the forest, he came to these great big hills. And he went up and down the hills and up and down the hills and up and down the hills, and at the end of the up and down the hills was a huge town, and he stopped, and he tied up his horse at the edge of town, and he walked straight through town until he got to a giant bridge. And he heard a voice saying, this is the glum drum bridge, and there is gold buried beneath the glum drum bridge. And then he woke up, and he laughed at himself, and he said, Ha, it's a dream. Everybody has dreams. They mean nothing. And so he had his breakfast, and he went out, and he worked in his fields all day long. He had his lunch while he was working, and at the end of the day, he went home. He had a small supper. He went to bed, and he had the same dream. He dreamt that he didn't go to his fields, but that he woke up and hitched his horse and cart together and went down the road past his neighbors. He went through a forest, and on the other side of the forest, he saw hills, and he went up and down and up and down and up and down, and he got to this big town, and he tied up his horse at the edge of town, and he went straight into town, and he stopped at a big bridge, and he heard the voice again. It said, this is the glum drum bridge, and there is gold buried beneath the glum drum bridge. And he woke up, and he said, Well, that's strange, having the same dream two nights in a row. Oh, but he dismissed it. It was just a dream. And so, of course, he got up and he had his breakfast and he went out and worked in his fields all day long. And then he went home that night and he had a little dinner and he went to sleep and he dreamt the same thing. He dreamt that he got up and hitched his horse to the wagon and went by his neighbors and into the forest and over the hills and to the town. He dreamt that he tied up his horse and went into the town and there was that big bridge and he heard the words again. This is the glum drum bridge and there is gold buried beneath the glum drum bridge and he woke up and said okay i'll go and so for the very first time in his life he did not work in his fields he hitched his horse to his wagon and he went down the road and he waved to his neighbors and they were shocked isaac where's isaac going who knows where isaac is going what do you think he's doing i don't know what he's doing they all watched him go down the road they couldn't believe it and then isaac got to the forest, and he thought, this is a real forest here. I didn't even really believe it, but here it is. And, and if the forest is real, maybe the gold is real. And Isaac began going through the forest, and, and he started thinking about his neighbors looking at him like he was a little crazy, and, and the, the forest really was here, but, but maybe he'd seen it before in his subconscious. Maybe he already knew it was here. Maybe it had nothing to do with the dream, not to mention the fact it was kind of spooky in the forest. He went through that forest thinking, oh, I should go back. I'm so far from home. If I go back now, maybe I would still have time to get a little work done. I, I would lose a whole day if I keep going. I don't know if I should keep going. But then he came to the end of the forest. 
and on the other side of the forest, he saw the hills, and he thought, I know I've never seen his hills before. Maybe my dream is true. Maybe there is gold waiting for me. Maybe there is. And as he went up and down those hills, he started thinking, Oh, I'm so far away from home. I, if I go back now, I could get a little work done and maybe even some dinner, and, and I could get to bed in a reasonable time and, and get up tomorrow and work even harder tomorrow to make up for the day. What was I thinking? I'm out chasing dreams. What kind of foolish man am I? Up and down and up and down, doubting himself the further and further he got away from home until the hill stopped, and there, there in front of him was the town. And Isaac thought, the town, the town is real, and I'm almost there. Maybe the gold is real, maybe it's real. He tied up his horse, he ran into the town, and sure enough, there in the middle of the town was a huge bridge, and there was a big sign, the Glum Drum Bridge. And he thought, yes! And he got ready to run beneath the bridge when he was stopped by his soldier. Boom! Where are you going? Isaac stopped. He said, ah, please forgive me. I, I have to go under the bridge. Nobody goes under this bridge. It's not safe. This bridge is falling down. You can see it's blocked off on either end. Why would you go under there? You're sure to catch your death. Uh, no, no, I, I have to go. You cannot go. Please, begged Isaac. No, you cannot go. Besides, why would you go under an unsafe bridge? What are you thinking? Isaac said, well, if... Uh... If, if I tell you why I want to do it, do you promise you won't laugh at me? Of course I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm a soldier. I don't laugh at anybody. I don't laugh at all. Why do you want to go under the bridge? Well, said Isaac, you see, <clears throat> I've been having this dream three nights in a row. I, I get up and, 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 and I hook my horse and cart together and I go past my neighbor's fields and, and I go into this forest and then I go up and down all of these hills and I come to this town and I hitch my horse to, to a, a pole out there and then I come in and, and I find the bridge and I hear this voice and it says to me, there is gold buried beneath the glum drum bridge. So here I am. And the soldiers started laughing. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Really? Following dreams? <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> Isaac felt pretty bad, especially since the man had already promised he wouldn't laugh at him. <laughs> look, look, let me tell you what's in a dream. I have had the same dream every night for the last 10 years, and it never bothered me. Isaac said, really? What do you dream? Oh, it's nothing. Well, I'm here, and you brought it up. What do you dream? The guard said, well, I dream that I leave here and I go over all of these hills and I get to this big forest and I go through it and I go past all these peasants out in the countryside and I stop at this house that has this giant fireplace in it and some man named um, Isaac lives there and the dream says, there is gold buried in Isaac's fireplace. I hear it every night. I never went chasing after no dream. Isaac said, did, did the dream happen to mention where in the fireplace it's hidden? Oh, yeah, right. Up and on the left. Thank you. And Isaac turned around, ran out of the town, got in his cart, went down the road, over the hills, through the forest, past his shocked neighbors to his home where he got out a big hammer and broke out the left section of his fireplace. 
and there he found two giant bags of gold. And I like to believe that he sent two pieces of that gold back to the guard, one from each bag, with a message that said, Always follow your dreams. An ancient tale called Isaac and the Glum Drum Bridge, told for you by Donna Washington. Here's a story from Alton Chung. It's called The Grateful Statues, and we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Mukashi, Mukashi. In Japan, a long, long time ago, on the side of a mountain, there lived an elderly couple. There was the old man, Ji-chan, grandfather, and his wife, the old woman, Oba-chan, grandmother. This couple was very poor. They would take straw and weave it into hats, and then the old man, Ji-chan, would take the hats down the mountain to the village in the valley below and sell them to buy the things that they needed. Oh, it was a hard life. One day, the old man's bones began to ache. As the pain grew, he looked back upon his poor life and grew sour. He felt sorry for himself, and began to complain bitterly. Uh, in two days, it will be New Year's. I wish that we had some, some mochi, some rice cakes, uh, that we might be able to welcome the New Year properly, said Ji-chan, rubbing his bald head, as he did when he didn't know what to do. Oh, husband, why don't you take these five hats down into the village and sell them? Oh, then you can buy mochi and we can have it for New Year's. And that's what the old man did. He put the five hats onto his pack and began the long hike down the mountainside to the village below. On the way down the mountain, there was a shrine by the side of the trail with six statues. Four were dedicated to Jesus, the protector of children. There was also a statue dedicated to the god of the river, but the largest statue was dedicated to the god of the mountain. The old man would always stop at the shrine on his way to and from the village. He would burn incense, say prayers, and leave little offerings to the gods. As was his custom, the old man stopped at the shrine and said, Ah, my friends, uh, it is good to see you. It has been a while since my last visit. Oh, it has been a hard winter. And I am no longer young. My bones ache. Still, tomorrow will be New Year's Day, and I would be most grateful if you were to confer your blessings upon my wife and myself. Ah. And the old man went down the mountain to the village. But when he got there, everyone was rushing about trying to get their marketing done and to head home. For you see, a storm was coming. It had turned cold, and soon it began to snow. By the end of the day, he had not sold any of his hats, and it had begun to snow very hard. The old man packed up his hats, 
and then made his way back up the mountain without any mochi for New Year's. And when the old man reached the shrine on his way back up the mountain, he stopped and said, Ah, ah my friends, uh, uh, this will not do. And he began to dust the snow off the heads and shoulders of the statues. And then he got an idea. He took off his pack and pulled off the straw hats and began tying them onto the heads of the statues. He tied hats onto the four little statues of Jesus, the protector of children. He tied another onto the head of the statue of the god of the river. When he came to the statue of the god of the mountain, he realized that he had run out of hats. Oh, my goodness, uh, I have no hat for you. I am sorry. The old man did not know what to do. Should he take the hat from one of the other statues? Could he make another hat for the god of the mountain? He took off his own hat and began to rub his bald head. Then he looked at his own hat. Oh, I know. He then tied his own hat onto the head of the statue of the god of the mountain. There you are, my friends. Happy New Year. And the old man hurried on home. And when the old man got home, he was nearly frozen. Oh, you silly old man. What happened to your hat? Come inside and warm yourself by the fire, chided his wife. The old man then told her all that he had done. And when she heard the story, his wife said, Ah, oh, that is a good thing, a very good thing. Oh, we have no more chi to celebrate New Year's, but uh, we will be all right. And after dinner, the old couple went to bed. But in the middle of the night, they were awakened by someone knocking at their door. Who could it be this time of night? Well, they, care they lit a, a lantern and they carefully opened the shoji screen door, the rice paper screen door. <gasps> and there, standing at their front door, were six stone statues, all wearing straw hats. And then the largest one, the one of the god of the mountain, spoke. Good evening. Thank you for your compassion. In repayment for your kindness, we have brought gifts. And the four little statues of Jizu, the protector of children, each came forth and gave a mochi, a little rice cake, to the old couple. Mochi, that you may never know hunger. And then the statue of the god of the river stepped up and gave the couple a bottle of sake, rice wine. Sake! that you may always remember the sweetness of life. Then the statues of the god of the mountain stepped forward and gave them a little bundle of dried leaves. And finally, my gift to you, fine mountain tea, that you may always have good health and long life. Happy New Year! And the six stone statues then turned and disappeared into the darkness. Well, the old couple was amazed. They could not believe it, what had just happened. They set the mochi and the sake aside to enjoy the next morning on New Year's Day. But as it was cold, they decided to boil water for tea. It was the most marvelous, delicious tea they had ever tasted. And at last, they went back to sleep. The next morning, New Year's Day, 
The man yawned and stretched and looked over to the woman laying next to him. But what was this? This woman was not his wife, but rather the most beautiful young woman he had ever seen. Oh, who are you? And the woman yawned and stretched and turned to look at the man sitting up, staring at her. Oh, what was this? This man was not her husband, but rather the most handsome young man she had ever seen. Oh, who are you? And that is when they realized the true gift of the statue of the god of the mountain. It had given back to them their youth. And the couple rose and enjoyed the mochi and the sake, and they vowed they, they would never forget to enjoy the sweetness of life. The Grateful Statues, a story told for you by Alton Chung. You know, Alton Chung says about storytelling, stories provide us with the opportunity to reevaluate assumptions we made about life. And in this way, stories can help us begin to heal and become all of who we truly are. A pleasure to hear an Alton Chung story today. And we're going to wrap up with a story from Rosie Cotrere. This is called The Graveyard Voice. It's a tale loosely based on an experience of Rosie's brother when he heard a spooky voice coming from the graveyard. This is alternately spooky and funny. Uh, it's not too scary at all, we guarantee it. Rosie Cotrere with The Graveyard Voice here on The Appleseed. like to tell you a story that happened to my brother. Now, my brother used to live next door to a graveyard. And this was no problem. In fact, my brother, he would take a shortcut through the graveyard to go to his office, which was on the other side of the graveyard. He could have walked all the way around the graveyard, but that would have taken 20 minutes extra. So he always just took a little shortcut through the graveyard. And like I said, this was usually no problem until one year. One year in the fall, my brother got ready and he left his office and he closed the door and he locked the lock on the door to his office. Now, I want you, can you take, pretend like you have a key in your hand, put it in the lock and let's make a little clicking noise like we're locking the lock. And then he began to walk down the sidewalk. Now I need your help to help me walk down the sidewalk. Pat your legs with your hands like you're walking down the sidewalk. Well, he was walking down the sidewalk and he stopped when he got to the graveyard gate because it was really dark. You know how in the fall it gets darker and darker each day? It was really dark. And then the wind started blowing. Can you put your hands up in the air like trees and in your fingers are like the bare branches of the trees in the fall and let's have the wind blow through those branches. My brother. He was getting spooked. And then he heard the leaves scuttling around on the ground. Let's make a sound like this. He was getting really scared. But he thought, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, he stepped into the graveyard. And the second he stepped into that graveyard, he heard this voice. And it sounded like this. Turn me over. Turn me over. Now you're going to do this with me. 
cup your hands up to your mouth, move one hand back and forth like this, and say, turn me over, but only say it two times. You ready? Here we go. Turn me over, turn me over. My brother was so scared he started to run. Can you help me run? He didn't stop running until he got to the five steps up to his front porch. One, two, three, four, five. He opened the door. He shut the door. Honey, kids, I heard the spooky voice in the graveyard. I don't know what it was, but it was really, really spooky. Now, his wife, Kathy, she looked at Gary and she said, Gary, this is not funny. Now, I know it's October and I know it's a time of year when people play spooky tricks on one another, but really, you're scaring Amy and Mandy here. Amy and Mandy were his two little girls, my nieces. Now, when this happened, Amy and Mandy, they were only like five and three years old. And they looked up at their daddy and they said, Daddy, don't do that. You scare us. <laughs> they would not believe my brother heard this spooky voice. Well, the next night, my brother left the office and he locked the door. Can you lock the door with me? He began walking down the sidewalk. He stopped when he got to the graveyard gates because the wind was blowing. Shh, can you help me? Shh. And the leaves were scuttling. He was really scared. He thought, maybe, 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 I should go around the long way. No, no, he said to himself, there's nothing to be afraid of in that graveyard. Well, he stepped in the graveyard, and sure enough, that voice started talking again. Turn me over, turn me over. Oh, my brother was so scared, he started to run. He didn't stop running until he got to the five steps up to his front porch. One, two, three, four, five. He opened the door. He shut the door. Honey, kids, I heard this spooky voice again. I don't know what it was, but it was really scary. And Kathy said, Gary... It wasn't funny last night. It's not funny tonight. You're scaring Amy and Mandy. Again, his two little girls looked up at him and said, Daddy, don't do that. You scare us. <laughs> Nobody in his family would believe him. They thought he was making up a story. Well, the next night, you know what night it was. What happens in October? Halloween, you're right. And it was really dark. Well, my brother, he left the office and locked the door. He began walking down the sidewalk. He stopped when he got to the graveyard gates. He was really scared. It was so dark, he couldn't even see his hand in front of his face. And then that wind started blowing. And the leaves started scuttling. Oh, he was so scared. He thought, oh, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. He said, no, no, I'm not afraid. In fact, tonight... I'm not going to run. I'm going to stay in that graveyard, and I'm going to see where that voice is coming from. Well, he stepped into that graveyard, and he heard the voice, Turn me over. Turn me over. He wanted to run, but he didn't. He forced himself to stay still and wait. He listened, and he listened, and he thought he heard the voice coming from behind some bushes over to his right. And so he, he walked over to those bushes and he parted the bushes. And, and then he stepped through the bushes. And behind the bushes he saw this little dirt path going down this hill. And way at the bottom of that hill there was a little, little shack, this little building. It was unpainted, rusty doorknobs, rusty hinges. And that's where the voice was coming from. Turn me over, turn me over. 
He began to walk down the path. Can you walk down the path with me? He walked down there and he stopped when he got to that little shack. And he reached out to grab hold of that rusty doorknob. And he, he got the doorknob. Can you grab hold of that doorknob with me? And he, he pulled the door open. He, let's pull the door open. And there on the dirt floor of that little shack was a pile of red hot coals. And on top of those coals was a grate. And on top of that grate was a hamburger. <laughs> Done on one side. And the hamburger was saying, turn me over, turn me over. Well, there was a spatula laying right there next to the hamburger. So he picked up the spatula. He scooped up the hamburger. He flipped it over. And the hamburger said, thank you. And that's the story of the graveyard ghosts. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Always fun to hear a Rosie Couture story. Such a pleasure to be with you today and to bring you stories from Rosie Couture, from Alton Chung, from Donna Washington, Isaac, and the Glum Drum Bridge. Of course, we talked with our friend Teresa Love about where the wild things are. And at the top of the hour, of course, you heard Aniko by Charlotte Blake Alston. Always a pleasure to bring these tales to you this hour, written by Alyssa Mingurance, our audio engineer Carly Robison, our producer Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne. Such a pleasure to be with you. Can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.